You know, the temperatures are um, rising due to a combination of different uh, things uh, in the oceans in particular. Um, obviously, background climate change due to human use of fossil fuels um, and carbon dioxide and methane and stuff going into the atmosphere and warming the atmosphere are, you know, kind of the, the big thing, right? Um, but this particular year, um, we have a combination of other things that have really helped to kind of amplify that background warming that climate change is causing to make this year particularly warm. Uh, one of those things is uh, the fact that we're in an El Nino year. Uh, we just transitioned out of a fairly lengthy La Nina uh, to an El Nino, and El Nino uh, naturally causes warmer conditions. Um, in particular, uh, that can happen for the tropical Pacific Ocean, um, and we can see it with uh, in the lower latitudes of the uh, Atlantic Ocean as well. There's also a couple of other things uh, that are a little bit kind of less talked about um, but can play a smaller role in, you know, warming, especially the North Atlantic Ocean where we get our hurricanes from. Uh, one of those things is there was a little bit less um, dust coming off the uh, Saharan Desert, um, and so with less dust blocking out the sun, uh, a little bit extra sun got in, meaning that those oceans could warm just a little bit more. Um, and then there was uh, also a couple of other things like the uh, volcano, uh, the Honga Tonga volcano. Uh, that was a while back now, if you recall, but that put so much... Uh, water vapor into the stratosphere, that that water vapor is blocking a little bit of heat from escaping um, that would otherwise normally escape. Uh, and then there is some projections that are uh, some predictions that's a little bit more in doubt about um, uh, changes in the fuel composition, actually, of ships that cross the Atlantic Ocean. Um, they have a little bit less sulfur in them than they used to, and sulfur used to be one of those things that acted to cool. Uh, the atmosphere, um, and so with less sulfur in them, we see a warming effect on the atmosphere. With us is Cameron Lee again. He is with the Environmental Science and Design Research Institute at Kent State University. And Cameron, you open it up by talking about El Nino, and a lot of people hear that phrase, mm -hmm. might not understand exactly what that means. So I thought if you could start there from the starting gate and talk about what that is, because you said this year, we're having that El Nino effect. Yeah. Um, so El Nino technically is a uh, change in uh, the sea surface temperatures of the um, tropical Pacific Ocean. Um, way out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, right near the equator, um, we go through these oscillations um, that are natural oscillations um, of temperatures uh, of the water that are sometimes a few degrees colder than average and sometimes a few degrees warmer than average. Um, and this year, um, and when you have El Nino's, is when you get those few degrees warmer than average uh, sea surface temperatures. And the reason that um, you know plays a role in weather around the globe is because when those waters are just a little bit warmer than average, then the air above them. Uh, becomes a little bit warmer than average, which changes uh, the pressure, um, the atmospheric pressure uh, of that air, um, and changes in the pressure equal changes in the wind direction, which kind of sets off this cascade um, of events that can resonate in, you know, slight temperature and precipitation differences uh, pretty much around the globe. And so it's one of the largest influencers of, um, you know, year-to-year -year variability 
um, in our average temperature and precipitation and a few other things as well. Cameron, when we talk about the high levels of temperature in the waters, talk about the effects these had. I've been reading about how it's affecting like coral, for example, off the coast of Florida. But talk about if we would continue to have these type of temperatures in the water, the effects that it would have to the ecosystem. So, yeah, I mean, with the coral, the coral are extremely sensitive to a bunch of different uh, oceanic variables. And, you know, getting into uh, marine biology isn't exactly my area of expertise, but from what I, you know, from what I do know, I, coral are extremely sensitive. Um, so it's not just the temperature, but also the, you know, the pH and the uh, salinity and a few other things. But, yeah, you, you go a little bit beyond their temperature range, and these corals start to die off um, and when they do they turn white and it's known as you know bleaching um, and that's when you know the coral just kind of fails to, to fail to thrive anymore and starts dying um, and when you have that coral die then that sets off kind of this cascade of reactions on up the food chain or up the food web um, where all the organisms that count on that coral being there is the basis for their you know for sustaining life um, when that's gone then you know that first order of uh, you know animals and fish die off and the fish that you know and other animals that rely on those fish die off and so on and so forth and so um, you know with climate change we are expecting to see you know increasing water temperatures and increasing you know amounts of coral die off um, with a lot of animals uh, in the ocean you can expect them to be able to you know, migrate to try to get out of temperatures that don't suit them. But you have to remember that they are reliant on, you know, the plants um, that live in the ocean that, you know, survive at a certain temperature as well. And the, the plant life, the vegetation in the ocean, it can't really migrate the way animals can. Um, and so that can become problematic as we move into the future with climate change. He's assistant professor, Department of Geography at Kent State University. Cameron Lee with us also with the Environmental Science and Design Research Institute, Kent State University. Cameron, I know you've been probably keeping up on the, the wildfires in Maui, supposedly started from the high winds of a terrific storm out in the Pacific Ocean. And, of course, that brings me to the idea of storms and hurricanes as we're getting ready to head into hurricane season off the Gulf of Mexico. And with these warm water temperatures and through your research, do you think this could be a bad season? Um, so the hurricane forecast has been an interesting thing this year. Uh, we, um, you know, so I'm, I'm not the one, I say we, as a climate scientist, I'm not the one that's making these forecasts specifically. Those are the people at uh, NOAA. Um, but, you know, we, we were expecting a slightly below average hurricane season um, to somewhere maybe right around average. Um, when this all kind of started, uh, you know, a few months ago when the first projections were made. Um, that was because we were seeing El Nino, but El Nino, one of the things that it does cause um, is a change in wind patterns, as I mentioned. Um, and the wind patterns that often set up in the Atlantic Ocean um, really aren't as favorable for hurricane formation. Uh, and so that was one of the reasons that, 
that it was a little bit of a tempered forecast, right? Uh, but what we ended up seeing is uh, El Nino develop quite a bit more rapidly and stronger than we anticipated. Um, in addition, those other things that are leading to really, really warm waters in the Atlantic Ocean that are, in some cases, literally off the charts in terms of how far um, above normal they are, um, that warm water, especially right at the surface, that's what provides the fuel for the hurricanes. Uh, and the warmer it is, the you know more fuel the hurricane has. Uh, and so while the wind forecast isn't necessarily great for hurricanes to form, the water forecast is really phenomenal. And so it's kind of balancing, um, you know, those two things that are going in opposite directions in terms of favorability for hurricanes. This season, uh, the new projections that were really at least just a couple of uh, days ago, actually, are projecting somewhere between a normal to slightly above normal uh, hurricane season um, in terms of the number of tropical storms and in the number of hurricanes and major hurricanes uh, that could develop. Uh, we're, you know, two months, I guess, not even two months into the uh, hurricane season. It goes from, you know, June into uh, the end of November. Uh, and so we're really just kind of starting to ramp up into, um, you know, into hurricane season. And the peak is August to September. Uh, and so, yeah, kind of be on the lookout for hurricanes to increase in their frequency. Uh, I did want to touch a little bit about, uh, you know, the fires in Maui. There was, you know, there was that hurricane that went just south of the Hawaiian Islands, and it was kind of odd because it wasn't just that hurricane that provided some of the winds, but it was uh, a high pressure to the north uh, along with that hurricane to the south that uh, kind of spread that wildfire due to the extreme winds. So it was an interesting setup uh, that led to that, and uh, it's a really unfortunate situation, obviously, from all the pictures and news that we're reading. Cameron, you opened up a, a couple of minutes ago, and we, we touched on it, this El Nino side of this story. Through your research and studies, what you and others do, is it tough to predict the El Nino, say, for example, going into 2024? Do you expect the weather patterns to stay the same, or is this a year-to-year, month-to-month basis? Um, so that's a really good question. Um, El Nino is, in some ways, it's difficult to predict a few years out. It's, you know, we, we, we can't really get a good handle on that. But when it starts to develop um, and there are indicators a month or two before or even, you know, a, a few months, up to a half year before, uh, they do tell us, you know, whether or not La Nina is going to, um, you know, wind down or El Nino is going to start up, stuff like that. Um, once you get started, we have a little bit better of an idea of how long it's going to perpetuate. Um, and so that's, you know, yeah, it's partly good, partly bad in terms of the forecast for El Nino um, or La Nina, um, on the other hand. Uh, in terms of moving forward this year, we are expecting El Nino to actually be one of the stronger ones, um, and it will last throughout the rest of this year. Usually El Nino's 
Um, overall influence on the atmosphere around the globe is strongest in our winter. Uh, and so we can expect in the next, you know, six to eight months, the strongest impacts of El Nino beginning to show up. Um, now, when I talk about temperature and precipitation differences, I'm not, you know, the averages are mostly what I'm referring to here. Um, we're not going to necessarily be able to attribute any particular events to El Nino, but what it does is it makes, on average, a little bit warmer um, by a few degrees temperatures likely in our particular area. Um, and I believe a little bit um, slight changes in precipitation in our particular area, too.